the landowners knew they were going to get this golden paycheck for a long period of time with 5G networks. Is that model changed? The carriers and the tower companies have been using the same playbook for years, and we believe that's the wrong playbook. We're trying to protect our property owners. We're trying to educate our property owners, but we're also trying to enhance them from a financial situation, which I believe over the last 20, 30 years, it's been skewed very much toward the carriers and toward the cell tower companies. Welcome to the 5G Guys podcast, the best resource for newcomers and industry insiders alike to explore not just 5G, but anything technology and telecommunications. We explore and discuss technology with guests of varying backgrounds and expertise to help you learn and stay current. So let's dive right in. Welcome the 5G Guys themselves, hosts Dan McVaugh and Wayne Smith. Welcome back to another episode of the 5G Guys. I'm Wayne Smith and joined by my co-host, Dan McVall. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the 5G Guys. Before we get started, just a quick reminder, if you haven't already, go to 5GGuys.com. Subscribe to our weekly newsletter. We'll give you hits when uh, we have a new uh, episode that drops. And we also have a newsletter that comes out every Friday. Gives you guys the top three or four really interesting tech stories uh, in your inbox. So if you haven't signed up yet, go check that out. Uh, today, we have um, a guest. His name is Hugh Odom. Hugh is with Vertical Consultants. Uh, prior to that firm, he was an AT&T attorney for 11 years. And then after that, he started Vertical Consultants. Um, and they provide consulting services and advices for companies like Walmart, Disney, uh, government institutions to include the United States Postal Service, New York Housing Authority. They've worked for the city of Atlanta, uh, city of Charlotte. Um, and so it's great to have you on, Hugh, because, you know, throughout my 30-year career in wireless, there's been a constant, I'd say, friction between uh, carriers and, and, and industries that are trying to build infrastructure and the communities in which they're trying to build that infrastructure. And um, I don't think it's a necessary friction. And it's great to have you as a guest because I think we'll get a chance to talk about how you're able to, to address that um, in your practice. So uh, thanks for joining us. Welcome aboard. Oh, thanks for the opportunity to be part of your podcast. Very much appreciate it. Well, perfect. Hugh, tell us about your firm and how you guys help your clients. Well, we've been in business through our 14th year. And as mentioned uh, just a second ago, we work with all types of uh, property owners, all types of clientele across the country, from individual property owners up to some of the biggest uh, corporate entities out there. And the commonality is what we're trying to do is kind of do a couple of things. We're trying to work on behalf of our client who's been approached or has a situation by which there's an infrastructure build out, cell tower, rooftops, et cetera, that they've been approached for. They have something existing and there's modifications needed on those sites. We're trying to work for them to better their situation, of course, but also in the same, same light, we're trying to explain to them what a carrier or a cell tower company is looking for as well, because it's as much as telling them what we are trying to look out for them and how we want to enhance their situation we're all trying to explain some of the necessities and then also some of the wants from a wireless carrier or cell tower company. So our, our job is to educate on both sides and try to represent our client to the best of our abilities to get them the best situation now and going forward. Well, that's, that, that sounds awesome. I think, I think maybe a good way to start, and we like to do this in a lot of our episodes, is kind of do a little bit of a history lesson for our listeners and um, maybe take yourself back to your days at AT&T Corporate or you know, Wayne and I have been building networks for, you know, the better part of 30 years ourselves. And I've been in my fair share of zoning hearings and neighborhood meetings. Tell us a little bit, what's your take on how things used to be versus where they are today? What are the commonalities and what sort of things have maybe changed in that, that sort of environment? 
Well, I think the big thing I, I can see from years ago, I think what we, I mean, when I was with AT&T, wireless was in its fledgling states. I mean, I was, I, I came into AT&T and I was more on the hard side and what I mean by the hard asset side, real estate side, et cetera. And, and at that point, AT&T spun off New Singular and there was a situation where they got separated out. And so it was a transition where the core, uh, core business was the landlines, let's say, the hard business, and then went to the wireless business and they came back to AT&T. And that's how I really got involved with the wireless side when, when that kind of consolidation happened and I started doing more and more wireless deals. And what we seen back then was there was a little more of a, I'll say a wild, wild west kind of situation. There was just everything going on so fast. So, so kind of helter skelter, at least in my opinion, there wasn't a lot of structure. And that's what we tried to do to try to get structure from finding sites to use to being able to get zoning and permitting, trying to get things set up for not only today, but as I mentioned, going forward as well. And it was really trying to figure out a pathway. And inside AT&T, how I handled that was trying to find out, putting together agreements and putting together strategies to actually get something from point A, B, C, D, and E. And it was a lot less on both the telecom side, at least in my opinion, but also on the missile side because they were just getting into it. This was a new thing for them. A lot, you know, a lot of the larger municipalities had some structure, but when you got outside that larger municipality, the smaller uh, towns and city, this was just, they were trying to figure it out. And there was just, uh, there was a lot of inconsistency. Yeah, I, I can remember in the mid 90s when there was massive cellular buildouts going out, going on that, to your point, a lot of municipalities, they had no policy for dealing with these applications on the zoning or, or building permit side. And I, I remember numerous jurisdictions just doing flat out moratoriums saying, hey, we're overwhelmed. We don't know what to do with this. And, um, you know, now I think it's pretty clear that pretty much every jurisdiction has some sort of policy and procedure for dealing with with these types of applications. Would you agree with that? Yes, I think it's, it's gotten to the point where it's it, they're they're They've caught up to some degree. I think as as we probably will talk about this in this podcast, there's still ever changing situations. And and the problem is this isn't their forte and they're always having to catch up from behind. So they've kind of caught up with the I'll call it the basics and then maybe the next level. But as 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 we know, in this business, it's technology and it's always changing and your situations are always changing. So in the municipality side of it, from the corporate side of it, from the private property owner side of it, they're always going to be lagging behind. And that's really where you get this disconcerting issue with between the necessities of a wireless carrier or tower company and their speed to market situation, let's say, versus a municipality, a private property owner, a corporate uh, owner of, of properties in multiple jurisdictions trying to figure out, well, hold on, what is this actually doing? And you're trying to uh, connect those. And always the, the carrier is going to be on the uh, on the front of that and the property owner is going to be on the backside of that trying to catch up. Yeah. Has has economics changed, you know, in, the, in that in that time period? Back in the day, it was a good way to do it. You know, landowners knew they were going to get this golden paycheck for a long period of time. With 5G networks and the less, you know, capital spent, is that model change in property owners? Is it less or do you know? No, that's what we deal with every day. That's our primary business. If we're, we're negotiating deals out for the property owners and that's where we go to head to head with uh, <laughs> every carry and every cell tower company every day for about 14 years. And we have a different mentality and, you know, where we may have a little bit of disagreement with regards to the pricing models and and structure, more particularly structure, you know, there's a, I will say that 
from a financial standpoint, I my particular and our, our company's uh, focus on this and our, our outlook on this and kind of viewpoint is that the carriers and the tower companies have been using the same playbook for years. And we believe that's the wrong playbook. And it's advantageous for us. I'm, I'm really honest with people is that the reason we know they're going to go left, they're going to right, they're, they're, they're trying to play out the same way because they've been successful at it. And really, our company was formed trying to, let's just say, reroute the course of the, the stream with regards to property owners. We're trying to protect our property owners. We're trying to educate our property owners, but we're also trying to enhance them from a financial situation, which I believe over the last 20, 30 years has been skewed very much toward the carriers and toward the cell tower companies. Yeah. Yeah. I know that historically, having been on that side of the of the world for the bulk of my career, you know, we were doing right 20 year leases. Um very one-sided usually, right? The carrier has more rights to terminate than the, than the landlord does typically. Um, what are some of the, what are the, some of the big changes from that typical playbook that you're finding are successful in the marketplace now that are really meeting in the middle in terms of still getting the carriers what they need and want, but being more, I don't know, for lack of a better term, friendly or, or cohesive with what your clients and, and the landlords are, are seeking? Well, I think it breaks down two different situations. First, on a, a new tower build or new site build, what we're looking at is a way to get the carrier or tower company into the site. But with regards to that, from a financial standpoint, we look at these, you know, again, again differently. Uh, uh, how the industry, at least in my opinion, has presented these to property owners as a real estate transaction, because that's the easiest transaction to do. You sit to a property owner, you talk to them about a rent. They get focused on the rent. Talk to them about an escalator. Talk to them, focus on the escalator. Talk to them about a term. If the if the tower company or wireless carrier can get you a, a rent, a term, and an, and an escalator, they fix their cost over 20, 30, 40 years, no matter how valuable the site has become. We believe in a different model. The reason being is I was inside AT&T for all those years, and I know that it's a utility model. I don't look at every site in an area and say, because it's in the zip code, they all have the same value to me, just because they're in the same marketplace. That's not how it's done. That's at least how we believe it's should be done is everything is looked individually from a from a existing uh, site basis we look at the situation based upon two basic principles if there's a modification extension something of that nature for renegotiation because a lot of those older leases have come up and or they're getting kind of come up those 20 30 years are running out and we're trying to restructure those to make sure we're valuing those based upon utility now based upon the value being derived and also the detriment to the wireless carrier or the tower company if they had to relocate it from an operational and economic standpoint. And we're trying to restructure it from a situation to get them back up to where they need to be, that being the property owner. But put that structure in place to make sure that they're getting fair value going forward. I always look at this again as both sides can benefit, but it has historically been, again, skewed toward the carrier and the tower company by which they're fixed their costs and they keep on getting more and more value out of the site. And as you mentioned, the substantial difference between a property owner and a cell tower or wireless carrier tenant is they have a lot of flexibility. They have a very liberal right to, to terminate the agreement, whereas a property owner is locked in. And that is a huge issue, not only with regards to that commitment to the, to the tenant, but also with regards to how that impacts the property with regards to future development, disposition, financing even. And that's what we try to look for our property owners to try to give them a little more flexibility. Wow. Yeah, it's it's that's an interesting model. And so, you know, we talked a little bit about the carriers. So how does the Crown Castles and the American Towers 
differ from the carriers or do they, or is it all the same? No, it's, it's, they're two totally different business models when you're looking at lease agreements. So you, you guys know that years ago, I think it's 16, 2016, 15 and 16, um, American Tower and Crown Castle bought a significant amount of AT&T, Verizon and T-Mobile towers. And they, and because the, those carriers wanted to get out of the tower business. Well, the difference, the huge difference between the two entities or the types of entities from a carrier versus a traditional cell tower company is a carrier judges value on a site, a tower site, let's say, based upon the value they're deriving for their customers, how necessary it is for that area, that network. Whereas an American Tower, a Crown Castle, and SBA Communication, the three largest tower companies, they look at, at it, they're REIT, they're a real estate company. They're judging based upon revenues being generated from the carriers by putting their equipment on there. So when you're going to neg- renegotiate one of those deals, um, it's really, you have to explain to a property owner the difference between having a lease with AT&T and having a lease with American Tower and how the valuation is judged and how each, uh, each tenant makes money. And that's what we try to get people to understand. They're, not every dollar is coming through the same door with regards to a cell tower you see when you're driving down the road. And that's really important for our clients to understand not only now, but going forward and how to, I guess, take advantage and capitalize upon that now and in the years to come. You know, it's, and it's funny you talk about that difference between the tower companies and the carriers. And, you know, that's been a somewhat friction-based relationship in my experience over the years as well in terms of the the, the tower companies' priority versus the carriers. And, and what's been interesting to see is last year, I believe it was, uh, Verizon and Vertical Bridge did a joint venture. Vertical Bridge is the largest privately held in the country, right? They're the fourth largest, I think, as a whole yes. uh, b- below SBA, Crown, and ATC. And they did a joint venture. So now they're kind of in bed together, if you will, developing towers together through this joint venture. And so I'm really anxious or not anxious, but curious to see how that may or may not differ in terms of the traditional business model between the carriers and the tower companies. Do you have any insight on that? Well, I mean, you're seeing, you're seeing different companies like that with regards to, especially vertical bridge, which is very aggressive. They have some extremely smart people over there. We disagree with a lot of what they do, but they're really smart people. And I, I you know, I always tell people I can disagree with somebody, but I understand their, their thinking and I understand there is a smart approach. We just disagree with it. So yes, you're right. They vertical bridge has got a, plan with Verizon and others, and they, they are looking to try to capture as much market share as they can with regards to new builds, et cetera. Same thing, a little different situation, I'll bring it up, with regards to Tillman and AT&T and Verizon. They have a totally different business model with perspective. You know, they're going out. So these companies, more particularly the tower companies, are trying to find, especially the smaller ones, until, as you mentioned, uh, sorry, Vertical Bridge is not small by any means, but they're the fourth largest. They're trying to find an avenue to get those captive carriers in a way that they can build most sites and capture that that site initially. And as you guys know, once you get a site up, that's the first step. Then it's adding revenue from that point on. That's where the gravy comes in for the guards to how you make money off these sites. So they've been very aggressive. They're very smart. Um, again, we disagree with a lot of things, how they approach things, but um, they've taken a different line than, than an American Tower SBA or a Crown Castle. And if you talk to those companies, which I, I do regularly, those three big companies, they'll tell they'll they would tell you that again, that is a different path and they have to they have to go about it a different way because of the how they're structured. Yeah. And if we take this same 
conversation and spin it a little bit. There's, there's a big change that happened over the last 10 years or so that uh, listeners may want to learn about. And that is the use of public right away to put this infrastructure into, right. Um, and the use of what's called a small cell. So it's a much smaller, more compact version of a, of a tower, if you will, it's on a light pole, it's short, the equipment itself is in a, a smaller package. Um, and, and with, that that's sort of changed the dynamics a bit, right? Because now the landlord is a public utility that has the right to that public right away. And there's some federal laws that govern that now that there hasn't been traditionally before that started happening, right? Can you sort of explain that dynamic for our customers and give us your your two cents or dollar fifty or however much you'd like to in terms of uh, what's different about what we've just been describing to the to the audience now with with that that sort of deployment scenario? Well, I think with regards to that, as you mentioned, it's, it's a situation by which they're taking advantage of public right of way. And as you mentioned, the federal government is controlling that. And a lot of that is based upon a, a couple of different things. One being they're trying to right now, especially push 5G as fast as they can. That's where that's mostly being implemented. And there's such things as you guys know, a shot clock situation that the municipalities have been pushing back on tremendously over the last few years. And there's some pros and cons to that. The pros for the carriers is that they're trying to get that speed to market. And if they have different municipalities using different methods by how long they take to review a application, let's say, then that slows everything down. So what the federal government and here recently in a recent ruling by one of the federal courts is they're saying, look, there's a 60, 60 day, I believe 60 day uh, shot clock. And, and the interesting thing about that is the shot clock doesn't start when the application starts. It starts when there's initial discussions and that starts it a, a lot earlier. And that the reason they do that is that how the municipalities found a way around this is they just had a really long application process and you couldn't get the application f uh, figured out until a long period of time. And then your 60 days started. So there's a back and forth between municipalities. There's also a bunch of bulk approval. So they come in with a hundred of these hypothetically, and they're trying to figure all that out. And, and so there's a lot of issues now from a, from a municipality side, look, I, you know, again, we're more property owner oriented. And I would say there's a lot of issues based upon what we were talking about earlier. A lot of these municipalities aren't up to speed. And if you come, if you're an AT&T, Verizon or T-Mobile, and you come to them and say, look, I have all these sites I want to build out in your public right away. They have an issue of reviewing that. Plus, and this is one thing we have to talk to municipalities and, and universities and things like that that have a lot of sites on their on their properties is that we have to say, look, this is not only the issue of kind of understanding what's going to be out there. You're going to get pushback from your citizens. You're going to get pushback of saying, why is this out in front of my house or in front of my store or whatever? Is this safe, et cetera? So from a, I understand the reasoning for the carriers wanting to expedite this. I understand the government's reasoning for trying to get up to 5G. I think we're really losing the race globally with regards to 5G. That's another story. But I think the issue is you have so much pushback from the municipalities and more particularly the local citizens. They're thinking this is getting pushed through too fast. A question that I'm, I'm sitting here thinking, you know, as technology changes, we're in 5G, but we know that, uh, you know, private networks are coming and that some municipalities are building their own infrastructure or taking advantage of the right-of-ways to put in their own. How, how do you think that, you know, will that become a problem with the carriers as they try to expand is when the municipalities actually need the same space 
Well, I have two viewpoints on it. First of all, I think yeah. uh, municipalities, municipalities trying to build their own network is like sometimes like a carrier trying to run a run a municipality. It's not it doesn't work. I mean, you can't. There's one thing. There's one thing to conceptually think it up. There's next thing is to build it out. And the third thing is what they forget about is operating it. And it's, it's, a, it's a continual process. It's not just plug it in. Hey, we'll go away for 10 years and never have to do anything with it. It's always being processed. You know, it's kind of like a, you know, the, it's kind of like a boat. It's you're always having to fix something and deal with something and upgrade something to keep it up on the water. So I think that's number one. With regards to a conflict between the two, my thought is that eventually the municipalities will run into issues and the, and those built out networks be transitioned into carrier networks. That's my thought on it. I think that's just where it's going to end up going. I think it's a good idea. It like a lot of good ideas. It sounds great. It may be implemented in a good way, but then operationally it becomes an issue. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think you're right. I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of areas where these, the municipalities, whether they're, it's intentional because they've decided, decided to try to deploy their own network or because it's just reactive because they have a job function to process these applications. And by the way, you know, back when large towers are, were the predominant applications by carriers, we were talking maybe tens per year in a certain municipality. That same municipality now with small cells in the right way could be hundreds of years, so hundreds per year. So they aren't staffed up to deal with those applications. So even if they do have good processes and procedures, they don't have the the, the full number of staff they even need to do that work. And now you you introduce the same issue if now they're operating a network, it's just something that they they haven't traditionally done. And And so one area I've seen some interesting um, work done to sort of mitigate these these issues is public-private partnerships where private industry is providing a managed service to the municipality. Uh, I know there's some REITs out there that have contracts, for example, with the State Department of Transportation to manage their, their public right-of-ways for the applications that any party puts in to deploy infrastructure in that right-of-way and help offload that local entity and and provide a, a service to them for a fee. I could imagine the same thing may happen with some of these municipal networks as well, where, yeah, the municipality and the citizens still own the network, but they, they outsource the, the management, the operations of those, of those networks. So I don't know if that'll be true or not, but that's one way I could see it happening. Well, just my two cents worth of that. I think that's really a, a smart path to go. I really do. I think that that solves a lot of issues with regards to the technology side of this, the rollout. And I look at one of the things I'm kind of my big thing is the digital divide and how we have such a have and have nots, have nots in the United States. And what's happening there is I think you do need that collaboration between the municipalities, especially the small municipalities and rural areas with private enterprise to get this done. And that that solves a lot of issues. It, again, it's all, not only is it is it getting those that technology out there, that service out there, it's a way to for those municipalities to be educated on this, on how all this works, because it's such, you know, the thing we always say every day is this is such an industry we use every day. I mean, you use your cell phone every day, but the, the backbone of it, how this all works, there's a, just a few people that understand it. And, and there's so much misinformation about all the different types of, of technology out there, all the different types of infrastructure out there and what it actually does and what it actually means. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think we've used the term, uh, I don't know if you've heard this term or use the same term, but really 
wireless telecommunications and broadband are really the fourth utility at the end of the day. They may not be a regulated utility industry, but they're as essential as gas, water, and electric in a lot of cases now to, to the, the country, whether it's on the, the, the public side or the, or the, um, you know, the, the business side. Would you agree with that take? Definitely. I mean, I, I think back in the 1920s, I believe, I think it was 27 or 28, there was a National Electrification uh, Act that basically got electricity to everybody in the country because there was parts of the country that didn't have electricity. I mean, that's that people think about that and they go, wow, I didn't I didn't know. And we're 100 years later, as you mentioned, we have a utility that isn't available to so many people. I mean, I'm not talking about tens of thousands. I'm talking about millions of people across the country. And, and not only is it not available, but when, if sometimes when it is available, it's such a diminished capacity of what their, the availability they have with regards to the speed, the network, et cetera. So yes, it is definitely the fourth utility. And besides, I use the phrase, besides air, water, and food, what do you rely upon most? Communication. And that communication these days is through a cell phone. Do you think, uh, if I still work for a carrier, like I used to, I might lose my job for uh, even considering this, but, uh, do you think that uh, private cellular carriers should be a regulated utility? That's a that's a, that's a big question. Um, <laughs> I I I I I think that um, I think if you're looking at it from two different ways, if you're looking at it from the uh, with regards to some type of control over that, then definitely yes, because you get willy nilly in some wild situations. With regards to availability, no. I think I think there's a, I think but there's I think there's a happy medium between the two. You know, regulation can be beneficial and it can be suffocating, but there's a happy medium with regards to regulation provides a path to get things done. It provides a net, uh, sorry, it provides a structure to get things done. If you can find that nice medium, then I think it works on, on both sides. And that's kind of what the cable industry's done, right? Like in, in many cases, they're not a regulated utility, but they do have access to the right of way through franchise agreements, right? Right, and they've taken advantage of that over the years, back you know, decades ago. And, and that's been beneficial for them. Again, you have to look at this from different perspectives of the private enterprise, the public necessity, and the, then the ordinary person as well. I think that's the, the three layers of this that we kind of look at it from any kind of situation that we're presented. Wow, it's a, it's a deep subject. I mean, it covers so many things and I don't think you know most people understand how this is done and how it impacts the deployment of the technology sometimes the regulation and trying to get the leases done and the RTC is a, is an impediment to getting the work executed and getting the work done. So. Well, you're exactly right. I think there's, you know, what we're talking about, and this is an easy statement for me to say, it's more complex, but we're talking about, we, we talk every day about building bridges and roads and things of that nature. We're building infrastructure. That's what, you know, that's why our, our little part of this company is, a, is, is in that piece of building that infrastructure out there. we, work on one side of it predominantly, but that's what you're ultimately trying to do. And, and where I think it needs to happen, and, and I think it's a little bit, and we talked about this a, a little while ago, we talked about, I mentioned the playbook. I think the, the playbook has to change. It's, you know, the playbook has to change on all sides. And, and if you keep on running the things the same way, it's like a football game. If I keep on running the same play, Eventually, it just it doesn't get anywhere. I just I'm just stuck at the line of scrimmage, and I think that's what the big problem is. The the wireless carriers, the cell tower companies, the municipalities, everybody kind of sits there and tries to run the same thing, and they need to figure out to be a little more nimble. And I think that's you know as we started this conversation, you mentioned I was 
inside worked for AT&T for a long time. And that's one of the things you, you know, I understand there's restrictions, but you have to be able to think out of the box and figure out ways that don't exist right in front of you. You get so comfortable with doing it a certain way, eventually that catches up with you. So that's a good segue as we uh, as we uh, wrap up our discussion today is disruptive and thinking outside of the box. What uh, you you want to play a little prognostication? Say the next three to five years, you see any uh, technology disruptions coming that might change that playbook or might change the way you know these networks are deployed. Well, I think the 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 big thing it's going to be interesting with regards to this isn't a, a sexy topic, but I think that with regards to with regards to 5G, how capitalization, how they, how they keep on pumping money into it, and more particularly how the return on investment that is. Because I think the carriers really are looking at that and how you monetize that. That really is the issue. The AI portion of that combination of 5G and AI, they always say 5G is the delivery system for AI. And I think that's really going to play into it. There's a lot of tech, you know, talk about the satellite portion of this, low orbit satellites. I used to, people kind of talk to us, and especially people who have cell towers, or rooftop equipment, they say, is, is it going to eliminate cell towers? And I say, no, it is a supplement. It is not a substitute. And it's so far lagging behind in technology with regards to capacity. It can provide you some great services, but it is a supplement. But I think the, the great thing about this business, at least from our perspective, is that, you know, I can't say every day we wake up to something new, but, you know, every few months we wake up to something new. And, and then, that, um, you know, we've been very lucky, but we worked very hard and we've been able to capture an industry, a side of an industry that takes those situations, tries to help our clients capitalize on the situations, tries to work with them to educate them with regards to the carriers and the tower company, what they need. And I don't see that changing anytime soon unless we come up with some technology that just replaces all this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks. you. It's been really insightful. It's great to hear your perspective on it. I love the, uh, count, you know, point counterpoint discussions that, that, that we have, like you said, I, you know, if we all got along and had the exact same perspective on things, we wouldn't get anywhere. So, uh, different perspectives are important. And, uh, I, I appreciate you being willing to, to have that conversation with us today. Well, I can't save everybody, but at least I can preach the sermon and get, get as many on my side as possible, <laughs> <laughs> but thank you guys. I greatly appreciate it. Thank you. All right. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to the 5G Guys. For more resources and to connect with Dan and Wayne, check out their website at 5gguys.com. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that follow button and share this episode with your friends and family.